Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. It's the college admissions podcast for the students, by the students. Today, I'm joined by my friend Catherine. I met her on the... Actually, I found her Discord from the Reddit r slash applying to college subreddit. So a little bit different this time. We actually recorded an episode a few weeks ago, but it was, it was tragically lost to a failed computer. <laughs> so we're re-recording today. So thank you so much, Catherine, for coming back on and, and, and dealing with a couple of weird technical things. No problem. Yeah, tech is weird, especially in my house where the Wi-Fi is variable every day. <laughs> well, you're not in America recording this episode, right? No, I'm actually in Bursa, Turkey. I'm studying abroad with the State Department on a NSLAY scholarship, which basically funds high schoolers to go to other countries to learn critical languages and to full merit scholarship everything's covered including the plane rides basically everything is covered besides the stuff you decide to do it by yourself which is like buying souvenirs etc i recommend any high schoolers to go apply for it. it's been a really great experience and you can learn more about it at nsliforyouth.org i think for sure yeah it sounds so cool i wish i had applied um i think i learned about it the second semester of my senior year which is incredibly helpful um but yeah it sounds super uh, cool yeah yeah, the applications are due usually in the fall, I think late October. Well, we should definitely talk more about that because it sounds so cool. But today, I think we wanted to talk more about testing because you run Sparky Test Prep, right? Yes, I am a co-founder of Sparky Prep Tutoring, which provides free tutoring for lower income, particularly and underserved students who might not have access to test prep in their communities particularly since test prep is so expensive nowadays, it could run up to thousands of dollars for a month of class, and that's not even the whole day. Yeah. So I know you're still a high school senior. Can you tell us a little bit just about yourself? So let's see. I'm a really big fan of politics. I do a lot of volunteering campaigns. I entered for a congressman during the midterms, actually. I helped him canvas phone bank i work for my state assemblyman i really love that job it's one of the best things i've ever done and getting to hear people's stories through constituent mail it's been really great that's awesome um i also sing i play the ukulele which is probably one of the most basic instruments but it's really fun i play the ukulele and sing a lot um a lot of mitski indie songs and i really really enjoy running sparky prep actually i just love getting to meet so many high schoolers particularly since they are high schoolers i've made a lot of friends both students and tutors, and that's been really cool. So yeah, that's basically me. And I live on the East Coast. Now, I know you're a high school senior, and a lot of your tutors are high school students, and a lot of the people being tutored are also in high school. Um, and so so what's your theory behind peer tutoring and, and how the, you know, what, what's your theory about the effectiveness of, of Sparky Prep? I think peer tutoring is so valuable because for a lot of tutoring services, the First of all, the individual tutoring was much older than you. It's very hard to form a genuine connection with them. And especially for paid services, it feels like they're in it just for the money. They don't really care about how you do. They might give you a score guarantee, but in the end, a lot of it's also still just a for-profit business. For us, Sparky Prep is completely volunteer, completely free, because we believe in providing test prep to everyone, no matter how much money their family makes or where they're from. And so for us, another reason why we really valued peer tutoring it's just that a lot of the times it's easier to tutor someone if you can also talk to them about other things. With my tutees, our conversations jump around sometimes. We'll talk about questions, then we'll talk about, say, what happened today, 
in our lives and we'll talk about seeing a new movie sometime and basically it's a lot easier to form a genuine bond for me at least i'm very invested in my tutee's results i want to help them as much as i can i'll clear out times so i can tutor them we'll organize times even if like say it's 8 a.m i'm a tutoring girl from south korea i love tutoring her it's really nice and I really care about if my tutees can succeed or not. The happiest things are always when they tell me, let's say, they got their dream score or they've gone to their dream, dream school even. Um, I have a girl who I tutored last summer um, while I was actually in California. Um, we called a lot while I was in California because I was unfortunately sick at the time too. So I spent a lot of time tutoring her. And eventually her dream school was NYU, but her scores were not in the 50th percentile. So she was very worried. But then she told me really excitedly that she got in. I was so happy for her and now she's going to NYU. So I really love peer tutoring. I think it's a lot easier to form a bond with the person you are tutoring. Yeah, and you know, that's that's my theory of the case behind what I do too. So I do um, test prep tutoring. Uh, I do college admissions counseling. And so I think, you know, particularly on the college admissions counseling piece, the reason why it's so important to have somebody of like a high school senior's age group is because all the things you do in a college application are so deeply, deeply personal. You write essays, you like tell stories about yourself. I don't know. I, I don't think uh, a lot of like older people get it because like the stories that people are telling now are different than the stories they told. Uh, and I think there's also something just about having that connection when talking about deeply personal issues. So I definitely get that. And like college admission standards testing is all changing so rapidly. The SAT of today in no way resembles the SAT of, let's say, 1990. College admissions today is so different, even from, like, say, five years ago. It's changing every single day. Essays change. Interview processes change. Everything changes. So I think that's why it's so critical to have peer tutoring, peer services. Now, the other kind of interesting thing about what y'all do is is that y'all kind of meet on a, on a Discord server. And I'll be real honest, the first time I had heard of Discord was actually because of are such applying to college and because there are all these like random discords floating around. So, so what, what's, what's that like, you know, trying to arrange all the tutoring um, online because y'all are obviously like distributed across the United States and it sounds like even, even the world. Yeah. So here's a fun fact. When we started off, the discord server was actually just tutor exclusive. It was just a place for tutors to share strategies and we mostly ran stuff out of our Gmail. But then we started thinking, hmm, discord is such a good service because it has built-in chatting features. You can make so many channels. They can be very specific. They can all have different features. So we expanded to a server where we have some tutor-specific channels for us to like talk about, hey, who could tutor this person on this day? Um, because we still do use our Gmail to like receive requests. But in the server, we have a bunch of different channels. We have a channel just for general questions about planning, a reading channel, a writing channel, a math channel, a subject test channel, and a lobby too where people can just talk about anything they want because, of course, we're high schoolers. We are social animals. <laughs> and so running Discord server is really nice because on Discord you can also see who's online at any time. So you can even ping an individual tutor if you see that they are online and they're free pingable roles. So you can ping like a math tutor if you need help with a math question. You can ping a reading and writing tutor if you need help with a reading and writing question. And so for us, we really love Discord because it's such a navigable platform. Basically, you can navigate through it very easily after a certain point. The beginning is always a little bit weird. You're like, what is this platform? Why is it, let's say, so complicated? What are these servers? It's so complex. But then you get into it and you're just like, this is pretty easy to use. And so for us, having a Discord server is really valuable, especially since a lot of people don't feel as comfortable voice calling for obvious reasons. Doxing is such a problem today. And on Discord, you're basically anonymous. I, I'm still in that stage of what the heck is all these things on Discord. 
Um, so it's good to hear that, you know, people figure it out. Uh, I'll see if I'll figure it out. But I think it's really interesting, the model that you've created, which is, you know, first of all, peer tutoring. Second of all, all this, you know, online Discord-based tutoring. I'm wondering, do you see, like, differences in the effect- effectiveness of, of the tutoring? Like, how do you track metrics for, for success? And, and also, how do you think about text-based tutoring versus video tutoring versus voice tutoring versus email tutoring? Do you find that, like, one works better than the other? I think email tutoring, honestly, is my least favorite way of tutoring just because email tutoring, a lot of people don't check their emails daily. It piles up. It's a lo- On email, we have, like, this urge to be very formal, <laughs> really so a lot of responses you have to be very well thought out while on discord it's very informal people use abbreviations but they still manage to convey the information and it's conveyed more quickly because a lot of people feel more comfortable answering something very quickly just like oh i have a minute here i can just quickly answer this and over email where you're like dear x thank you for reaching out to us and they have a closing it's very formal and it takes longer voice and video calling i think those are about the same degree of effectiveness because for tutoring although video calling does help a lot of voice calling is basically the same. You send over questions and some people don't feel comfortable having their places shown anyway. So I think for me, those are about the same degree of effectiveness. But I do value text-based tutoring a lot just because of how rapidly you can respond. We, of course, do, oh, has your score increased? But also a lot of our tutees use like services like UWorld where you can track how many questions you're getting right or Khan Academy too. And those are also really valuable. There is one uh, person I tutor, um, he used UWorld a lot and his metric for success has been, I used to get a lot of questions wrong UWorld. Now I'm getting maybe one question wrong every day or maybe two questions wrong that's obviously a very dramatic improvement so it's not just my score increase it's also these separate metrics well it's interesting because you know when we you know as as a test prep tutor myself obviously i track metrics about where did where did my students start score wise where did they end up halfway where did they finalize their score but but i feel like it's a little bit different for your model because you know for me most of the tutoring happens in like one hour sessions every week or two hour sessions every week for you there's a lot of just like you know texting interspersed you know it's not formalized it's not like once weekly it seems more just like whenever you have a question hop on you know how do you think about the metrics for that we have traditional tutoring too, and for those sessions, it are they are scheduled. Like say, the Korean at Grow Tutor, we schedule like weekly sessions. So for me, that's easier for me to check in and see how she's doing. Um, other times, for some tutees, just get tutored like once or twice, and so I message him after a little bit, ask him, "Hey, how's it going? Uh, have you received your score yet?" And they'll usually tell me. Uh, sometimes they'll tell me themselves. One reached out to me right after a test, and he said he did, thought he did well, and then to be clear, he got a score and he did really well. So that was great. For yeah, for regular sessions. You will just ask them on a call for, let's say, one-off ones or people just in the server. You can just message them directly because Discord does have the PM feature. I think there's, I think there's a lot to think about when it comes to like tracking performance of, of students. It's, it's something that I've been thinking more about, and I think it's something that just like the broader education and particularly like ed tech has been thinking of. Like, what's the right way to track it? How do you track it? you know, easily, that's not like an inconvenience to, to the person teaching it, also the student. So, you know, like that's that's why I, I'm, I'm curious about it. What what conclusions have you drawn from, from the metrics? How do, you, how do your students do? They usually improve a lot. Um, every student obviously improves a different amount because there's some people on the server who have like 1540s and for some reason they just really want a 1600. So that person's obviously going to need different tutoring than someone who started off at like 1100 and just wants to get a 1300 or 1400. So they obviously have different, very different metrics. Um, it's harder, of course, to improve once you have a very high score it's hard to go up from there because at that point it's just silly mistakes obviously other things are smaller a lot of our tutees usually tend to 
do better on the math section than the reading and writing section. So I specialize in reading and writing, actually. So for those PTs, I really like going through it and just seeing what their mistakes are and how to solve them. The biggest tip I can always give to anyone out there, which I actually talked about in my write-up post too, is everything is in the text for the reading section. That's what a lot of people don't realize because when we go to school, inferring means drawing conclusion even though it's not in the text. Say this person, there's a huge metaphor in there. What are you supposed to infer from that? It's not directly stated, but you're supposed to infer something. On the SAT, that's not true. Most everything is in the text itself. Their inferring is, can you go back in the text and look for the specific key phrase? And so that's very different. That's why the SAT for me is a lot more about strategies and like, let's say how smart you are, quote unquote, because it's not really the same as school, at least for the English section. Well, for reading, at least writing, you can probably learn grammar rules in school. Math, too, you learn the concepts. But for the reading section, you have to have a switch in mindset almost. Yeah, because it's all basically just about regurgitating the text. Everything is in the text. Basically, your job is is to find, you know, word for word if there are similarities, but also synonyms. And that's that's, that's what I've noticed too during a lot of students about the SAT and the ACT, which is that the right answer tends to be the one that is almost word for word in some place in in the passage. And it's like a weird thing for people to understand because we've we've been taught in English classes to think, okay, let's let's think theme, let's think. You know, figurative language, rhetorical, and it's just like not how the SAT multiple choice section is structured to work. So I guess that leads us into, I guess, like the broader theory of the case for, for Spark B test prep, which seems to be some thoughts on, on whether testing is good or bad, right? Because like, obviously, if you're giving it out for free, there's something there about the inequality of test prep tutoring. I'd, I'm wondering what you think just about testing. Is it a good way to evaluate someone's readiness to go into college or is it something a little bit less about that and more about strategies and other stuff like that so first let's talk about the inequality in test prep i think because that's something i feel really strongly about um i don't want to disclose of course exactly where i live but i live in a very wealthy area we're not very diverse our diversity um i guess is we're about 30 percent asian we're very white we have very few african-american hispanic students most everyone is upper middle class if not upper class and everyone pays for test prep People pay for numerous rounds of test prep, actually. Some people go to three different test prep classes. That goes up to about, like, let's say $15,000. That is a lot. For some families, that's about, let's say, three months' paychecks, four months' paychecks, or even more. So, of course, there's a huge inequality in test prep tutoring. Even saying finding test prep centers is difficult when you live in an underrepresented area as well. In my area, there's at least two test prep centers in every single town. My town has four, I think. So there's no lack of resources for test prep. The only barrier is cost, but for other areas might not even have any test prep centers. So there's a deep inequality in test prep. Yeah, so like on the geography thing, I, I was, you know, we, we talked about this last time, I think, you know, I, I talked, I was talking to Alexandra, who is a person on Reddit, we both know from Reddit, who is from Montana. She said that she could pay for test prep tutoring, she wanted test prep tutoring, but there's literally no test prep tutor in her area, which when she said that was just crazy to me, but but I guess makes sense because rural America just is very interspersed, it's, it, everything's far away, so, so it makes sense that resources aren't there. For those places especially, like say you're, you live in South Dakota, where do you go for test prep? You live, let's say, on a farm. You live two miles from your closest neighbor. Where do you find a test prep center when you have the time to go to a test prep center when it's so far away? And another thing is for me that basically test prep is not only so expensive a lot of the time, it's not even as as effective, in my opinion, as one-on-one tutoring. The cheapest test prep is usually group tutoring. And even group tutoring packages are very expensive, $5,000, say, for four weeks. 
Model Mon tutoring, $200 per session. What families can afford to drop that kind of money on test prep? Well, all families. As we all know, the staggering social inequality in America is a huge problem. Some people say, oh, well, there are free resources online. And of course they are. Sparky Prep is on those free resources, but you have to know where to go to find them. I would gather that most teenagers aren't on Reddit and they aren't on the SAT subreddit. You only know about the SAT subreddit if you're already that dedicated to testing and you already know how important testing is, baby. The first time I even heard of UWorld, of course, was on RSAT because one of the moderators runs it and UWorld is really great. But if you're not on Reddit, if you're not on Discord, how are you going to find out about all these resources? Yeah, it's really hard. And you know, that's, so like when, when I do paid test prep tutoring, it's usually hovers around 60 an hour, goes up, goes down, depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that the theory of the case with individual test prep tutoring versus group test prep tutoring is that people just take tests differently. Like there's there's no single way to take the SAT. And, and the, the reason why is because it's not a content-based test. It's a skills-based test. So for things like the APs and, and content-based tests like that, it's actually very easy for a one-size-fits-all approach. Here's a textbook, go, right? Or like, here's the information. We can customize ways to learn it, but, but at the end of the day, it's still the same information. For the SAT, you're not memorizing a book to take the test. You're, you're thinking about strategies. You're thinking about approaches. You're thinking about methods of how to read a passage, how to you know think about grammar, how to approach word problems. And so because it's a more about the procedures you use rather than the content you know. Everybody starts from a different procedure, has different methods, thinks about questions differently, which is why I think it's so stupid to have like a one-size-fits-all approach to test prep because it's just like, that's not how testing works, particularly the SAT and the ACT. Of course, yeah. So that also goes into how how effective is the SAT. So the first thing I like to bring up is that in most colleges, you won't just take multiple choice tests you're going to be asked to discuss your opinion. You're going to write essays, and that's how you're evaluated a lot of the time. Even final exams, they're no longer multiple choice most of the time, unless you're taking, like, say, a very, let's say, black and white course, say you're taking a personal financial literacy course. Maybe it'll make sense to have a multiple choice test, but, like, say for a calculus class, for a chemistry class, for a, for an English class, in college, you're not going to be asked to take a multiple choice test. Here are the questions. Here's a scantron. Go. A lot of time, you'll be asked to discuss, to talk about what you learned, to explain why your reasoning is this. And the SAT has no kind of gray area. You're right or you're wrong. There's one right answer all the time. Although I can see why colleges use it, which is mostly, oh, we want to make sure that this student understands grammar and has a grasp of basic math math concepts. I don't think it's the most effective way of evaluating student performance. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of colleges, even big colleges like, say, the University of Chicago and Wake Forest, have switched to test optional because tests can't show who a student truly is. Yes, as a college student, I can confirm that I think I did five multiple choice questions in two semesters at college. And so that was when I was taking massive lecture classes too, like my science class, my computer science class, over both of them, four multiple choice questions, which means it's just going to get less and less from here on out when it's smaller classes and less about you know, big lectures and more about small discussion seminars. So definitely like the SAT and the strategies for multiple choice hacks that you learn for the SAT really, very unfortunately, are not going to come up again. I don't really understand why, let's say, the SAT is weighed so heavily for many schools. I'm not talking about, say, top 20s here. For top 20s, a lot of the time it's you have the scores, you have the GPA. Okay, well, that would be based on other metrics. I'm talking about state schools here a lot because a lot of state schools use an algorithm. Is your GPA above this? Is your ST above this? Okay, accepted. No, denied. 
and it's so black and white and they get maybe why they do it which is we have so many applicants but they're not really valuing the student as a whole they're not really valuing whether they can do well at the university which they probably can um jeffrey who is the moderator of r slash i think ut admissions I forget the, the specific name of the mm-hmm. subreddit. He did an analysis of how the University of Texas at Austin's admissions office works. He came on the podcast, I think, last episode um, to talk about it. And basically how it works is that the, each applicant is assigned two scores, a personal achievement score, which an admissions officer signs based on extracurricular activities. There's problems with that. Um, but, the, but the main problem is there's an academic index, which basically generates algorithmically based on weightings of your GPA, your test scores, and your class rank, this, like, score that represents your academic achievement. Yeah. And and to me, that's just, like, such a such a horrifying concept. It's, like, not holistic at all. If you're able to take numbers and assign another number, and you're not looking at context, you're not looking at the types of classes being taken, you're not looking at, you know, distribution curves for the individual classes, you're not looking at distributional curves for where they place on the SAT in relationship to who they are, the school that they come from, their income, their geography, all those types of things, then it's not holistic. You're literally just taking by the score. So it, you know, that episode just really was just like this wacky description of how, despite everything and, and every admissions officer answering every question by saying, we're holistic admissions, I don't know. The fact that they do know because they're literally using an algorithm, at least at, at UT. Yeah. It's holistic past a certain point. Before yeah. that point, it's not holistic at all. No. Now, that's, you know, testing. And, and that's what we think about the, the pitfalls of testing. You know, test prep, we teach people strategies for how to do well in the test. We teach them methods, procedures, approaches. I have started to think about this a little bit, which is that if it's true that you're never going to take a multiple choice test again in your life, What's the real point of test prep tutoring besides the SAT and the ACT? Is there a way we can make it more important, I guess? One interesting thing would be to see how test prep will develop, let's say, let's say if the SAT were a written test, how would test prep be? Can you teach someone to write well? Of course you can probably, but could you do that in like a space where you don't see them every single day and you don't give them assignments? Is there a way to have a student basically become a very good, say, creative or nonfiction writer? And also, even the SAT, I know the SAT has an extra section. I think there was a study that showed that the essay's grade was directly correlated with how long it was, which is ridiculous because there's so many essays further than the grade. You see an essay with a lot of long words that's six pages long. Okay, that looks like a good essay. You're good to go. For test prep, Sparky Prep does do some test prep and let's say subject test two, which is a little bit different because obviously subject tests are more like APs. You either know the content or you do not know the content. So for subject tests we have a very specific focus on basically just helping people understand questions like math two questions are a little bit tricky sometimes so basically just explain why this answer is correct but it's a lot more straightforward because it's not really strategies it's have you studied enough do you know how to do this or do you not know how to do this yeah and i and i think you know the 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 subject tests and preparing for the subject tests actually teach you content which i found i find so much more valuable and the skill of filling in a multiple choice test blank. Because for subject tests, like you, the knowledge you learn will be helpful if you take similar classes or s- classes down the track in, in a college curriculum, whereas you know, strategies for test prep won't. I guess, I guess, you know, 
my question for you is, you know, in your experience with Spark View Test Prep, is, is there a way you can make test prep not just about the skills? Is there a way to like teach the content as well in a way that actually might give students not just tools to take multiple choice tests that they'll never do again, but also readiness for college or like lifelong skills? I think that applies more for the math and writing sections than the reading section. For the math section, you are teaching content, actually. There is no way to do well in the math section, in my opinion, without knowing at least um, Algebra 2, having a baseline knowledge of Algebra 2 and trigonometry. You can't do well because that's tested so extensively on the test. And for writing, I think grammar rules are very important for expressing yourself anyway. There's a reason why when we learn new languages, learning grammar is so important. So in English, we should try to know the correct grammar as well and know how to form a good sentence, what a good sentence looks like. For the reading section, though, there's obviously value in knowing how to read a test, read a text critically. The problem is, is the SAT really testing critical reading skills? It's testing how well you can find something. It's not testing how well you can actually analyze something. I think I have some quibbles about whether writing and, and, and math actually teaches you skills. So like, I can, I think, you know, like, obviously you need to know some math. You need to like add, do algebra, basic triangle stuff. But there's just so many hacks, particularly with the math section that you can use. For, for just like that you don't need to know this, the content on. And because it's a multiple choice test, you can leverage the fact that there are four answer choices and one of them is going to be the right answer. Um, for, for the writing even, I, I question how much that's teaching, actual, like how much it's necessary to teach yeah. the actual grammar rules now that there's all like the Microsoft words and all that stuff. But I think I'm just curious, like when we teach, because I think you're right that like the real problem here is this reading section. So... How do we teach reading in a way that both gets them ready for the test and prepares them for college? Is there a way, do you think? I think one way is to basically, if you do go through the test, of course, like you do the standard, oh, this is how you get the answer right. But then you ask them, like this text is saying, I think main idea questions are more valuable than, let's say, just the evidence-based ones, because a lot of the evidence-based ones are just regurgitating information. Finding the main idea of text is so valuable because in life, too, you're going to be asked to summarize reports no matter what job you work in. You could be a researcher. You could be a businessman. You're going to be summarizing reports, analyzing reports. And so I think isolating the main idea is something that's pretty important. I think also just finding a way to talk about the passage itself outside of the context of questions will be interesting because you could talk about, hey, so why is this author talking about like this? Why is the author using this device? And I think that's pretty valuable. I think... You know, one thing that I talk about with, with my students is how to read a text for understanding versus for interpretation. And I think definitely like one thing that we talk about is annotations and, and how to make sure that you're really understanding paragraphs. I think that genuinely is useful because one experience I have in college even is, is you know, reading like three chapters of this massive long book and then realizing I had no idea what had just happened. Like the next chapter was describing a funeral. And the question in my head was like, okay, who died? Because I just like blanked out for three chapters, apparently. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that is important on the SAT is strategies, annotations, whatever you do to try to prevent yourself from doing that. Taking good notes. I feel that um, last year, no, actually two years ago, well, I'm going to be a senior, two years ago, over the summer, we had to read the Odyssey. And basically for the Odyssey, I had to take a lot of notes because a lot of the time they were using weird language. The the wine dark sea. What does that mean? How is a sea the color of wine? So a lot of that is you have to talk about how the author is using this device. And so 
for that, I think a really important thing is taking good notes because taking good notes allows you to isolate the main idea to understand details, and that's so important. Yeah, and I think the other thing that can be done to make test prep less just about testing and more about teaching content and getting people ready for college and frankly for life is the passages that we Mm -hmm. choose as examples. Like obviously we're gonna take the SAT's practice Mm -hmm. test because the SAT and the college board released them. But when we're working with people, I also think, and this is something that I have to think more about and, and work on myself, is that we can choose really impactful passages, right? Passages that actually like describe, you know, a political thing that matters or some type of scientific thing that's gonna like change the world. I feel like a lot of passages the SAT chooses try to do that, but they like squirm out and moderate away into something that's like close to being what you would want, I think, from an interesting passage, but they moderate it and water it down to be something that like doesn't matter. So like what if instead of doing a piece about, you know, the suffrage movement, because like that's like the thing that the SAT tests over and over and over again, switching it up and doing like a different you know, social movement. Talk about, like, say, labor movements. That would be really cool. Yeah, like, I have not seen, like, a union piece on the SAT. And, you know, for reasons because the SAT wants to moderate away. Yeah. And obviously I'm not saying, like, reading Virginia Woolf writing about feminism is bad. It is, in fact, very, very useful. It's that every single practice test that the SAT gives is yeah. the feminism angle from an old English author. It's like, okay, important, but... Maybe we can switch it up and talk about different social movements. And I feel like as test prep tutors, we can do that. We can give people, you know, different texts to read that will, you know, expand their worldview at the same time as we teach them the skills needed to do well. Um, I think another valuable thing that I sometimes recommend to my tutees who are like, I don't really read how to deal with the SAT is read the news. The news is really good. The New York Times does write at a pretty high level, at least collegiate. Some articles, although probably not like, say, the history articles from like, the 1800s. Some articles will be written in the writing style of the New York Times. So reading the news is still valuable and you do gain a broader understanding of the world from reading the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post. So I really recommend that people read the news. It's also fun. I don't know. Like I feel like, you know, journalists are pretty good at making their articles spicy. Like the New York Times is starting to get a bit more perspective in there, a bit more journalist voice. It's, I don't know, sometimes it's fun. Yeah, it's definitely very fun, especially reading, like, say, like, dispatches from foreign countries. I love those where they just, like, have a reporter in a foreign country to talk about more daily aspects of life, how the citizens feel about an issue, which isn't just, this is what happened. It's, how do you feel about inflation? Okay, well, that's how you study for a test, and we've kind of complained about testing. I kind of want to close this off by letting us kind of imagine the perfect world. What do you think college admissions mm-hmm. should look like or, or testing should it's definitely look a very like. difficult question. I can first tell you what I don't want it to look like. I don't want it to look like the Chinese or South Korean systems. One test, you can retake it once a year. I don't want it to be like that, where everything is determined on one test, basically. The Gaokao, there's so much cheating because it is just one test. So if you could do well, you basically have your features that set. Same for South Korea, even more so for South Korea, where everyone wants to go to the top three universities. It's so difficult. So that's what I don't want it to look like. Um, honestly, it's very difficult to say. I know for the British system, the British system is very interesting. I am actually applying to some British schools, including Oxford, London School of Economics, St. Andrews. And so for that system, they place a lot of value on test scores, but it's not like, say, the SAT. For overseas students, they do want to see your SAT, but they care more about your AP scores. Or in the UK, A-levels, which is all subject-specific. They want to see how you 
are going to do in the subject you want to study. The difficult part about that is that you have to know what you're going to want to study when you are, let's say, 17, 18 years old. That's really hard. So that system's good for people who are very motivated. Like, say, someone who wanted to be an engineer since they were eight, wanted to be a doctor since they were nine, something like that. That's a very good system for those people. But for people who want to go to the college undecided, the first system is not good for that. And there was a study that shows them the majority of students do change their majors because in high school, like, you think, I want to, I say, let's say, a doctor. Then you go to college, you take your first organic chemistry class, and you're just like, I cannot do this. I do not like this at all. And so for a British system, it's very hard to transfer majors, and everything is based off of, like, the major you want to apply to. Like, in the British system, the major does matter. If you're applying for medical school, oh boy, that's going to be really, really hard. You know, my thoughts on the UK system, though, are like, I like it better than this system on the testing aspect, because it focuses on content-based exams rather than, you know, your ability to fill in multiple choice blanks. My qualm with it, though, is just how biased it is on academics. Like, when you talk to someone who applies from a British school, it's like, you will not write about extracurricular activities. You do not talk about extracurricular activities. Oh, that's actually very interesting. So, I'm writing my personal statement for UK schools, right? You can talk about extracurriculars, but you don't have to. There, the thing about UK schools is that it's very interesting in the personal statement. Some people talk about extracurriculars, and like how it relates to a major, they get in. And then another person just talks exclusively about the books they write on philosophy. And they also get in. Well, it's like, yes. the, the angle is like, extracurriculars only matter in relation to your major. Yes. Right, so like, if I applied as an econ major, I probably wouldn't be writing about orchestra. Or like, if I did no. musical theater, like, maybe it's like, okay, maybe we can talk about like the business of those things. But like, that that's kind of a far stretch. And so, like, that's my qualm with it is, like, just how, like, major academic focused it is. And I also feel like because it does that, you know, it, it's never going to capture the intention of the American holistic system, which is understanding the context around things. Like, the same qualms we have with the socioeconomics of test scores here apply to, like, things like the A-levels. Like, if you go to yes. not, like, Eden, for example, if you go to, like, I don't know the language I use, like a, like a comprehensive school or whatever in the UK, obviously you're not going to have as good of an education and as high of A-levels as a fancy grammar school or a fancy boarding school. Like, there's there's so many people in the UK who do not have that kind of privilege. So that's a problem, of course, with every system that values testing. Even in China, the Gaokao is not equal. A kid in a rural village will not have the same education as a kid in Beijing who goes to the best middle schools, best high schools in Beijing. So that's always the problem with testing. And so the US system... Some things I like about the U.S. system, I do like how we, extracurriculars matter. I don't like how we do have seem to be trying towards the U.K. system where it's for at least top schools. Have you done a national competition in your subject? Have you been nationally recognized? Which is so difficult for a 17-year-old. How do you, let's say, meet Bill Gates when you're 17 unless you're truly extraordinary and have been doing this since you were young? Which also goes back to resources. Or have a rich parent that makes the connection. Even like say, I'm working, I work for another organization, online media publication, and we recently were filing for nonprofit status so we can start partnering with more organizations to, let's say, get donations to places like the Matthew Shepard Project. And basically having nonprofit status will make it a lot easier for us because people will be more willing to donate to us if we seem official, of course. The filing fees are so expensive. It's about $500 in total. If you are not privileged, how are you going to make that happen? How are you going to start a nonprofit if you, like, are not privileged? And it, like, just starts with $500, too. Like, $500 is the filing fees, but then you have to, like, do maintenance of the status. If you set up, for example, like, I'm not sure about the specificity of a 501c3, but starting, like, a like a C corporation, if you want to be, like, an entrepreneurial type or whatever, 
lawyers, there are regular maintenance fees, you have to have a board of director meeting, which means you have to have minutes, and if you don't do that, the company's not in the order standing and all. All this kind of like stuff that, you know, like sounds good on paper, but then when you realize like how much it takes, you understand that only rich kids, well, not only rich kids, but like it is so much easier for rich kids to do these things. A rich kid gets parents who can read to them. A rich kid has parents who will drive them anywhere. A rich kid has parents who have connections. A rich kid has parents who have friends who have connections. And so it's a lot easier if you are wealthy in America, unfortunately, and in any country in the world. Socioeconomic status is so important. That's why I hate it when people say, well, they could have tried harder because can you really try harder? I mean, maybe rich kids can. (laughs) No, I mean, like the, the last thing I'll say on this is that nonprofits, businesses started. I really think, and I really hope at least, that admissions officers are going to just be like, nonprofit, ah, good. Just because like, I feel like a lot of people start nonprofits, quote, 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 but they don't do anything. They're just like shell nonprofits to have a name to stick on their college application. Oh, I read a post actually about that, how some people don't even file for incorporation status. They just say, we are a nonprofit, and they never actually register with the IRS, which is ridiculous. Like for us, our bylaws are about 30 pages long. We spent two sleepless weeks writing them. And I think that's just ridiculous because for us, it's like very specific. We want this because it gives us more credibility when we want like, to like solicit donations, obviously. Like no one really wants to donate to a group of high schoolers. They're just like, mm, so what are you going to do with this money? When like, even though we are a sociopolitical organization, they're kind of just like, you guys are 17 and 18. Can we trust you with our money? And if you are registered with the IRS, you seem more official. But for... Places sure. where you don't even bother to register, just like, oh, well, it looks cool. And then you just say, I'm a nonprofit. You never actually file paperwork. I think that's ridiculous. It's a lot less work. Yeah, they both don't file and don't do yeah. anything. It's just absurd. I mean, we've gotten us off track of the testing, yeah. but basically, I think, like, the broader critique of, of maybe it's just the broader critique of every system <laughs> is like class inequality. I, I really hate how some people say that privilege does not exist because, like, everyone is different, but. I would say that it's very clear. That that's the point. Like, that's what privilege means, is that everybody is different. Everyone is born into a status which they basically, as an unborn infant, you did not somehow become selected to be born to rich parents. It was a chance. And then you have more opportunities throughout, throughout life. And that's blatantly unfair. But the problem is how to rectify that. And <laughs> that's so difficult. Not even just there that education, go. every other system. And... That's why I think following politics is important for sure. because there are solutions out there. Which one's the best? No one knows. Now, one organization trying to fight that inequality is Sparky Test Prep, right? Free test prep tutoring for anybody. So if someone wants to sign up as a student who needs test prep uh, but, but doesn't have it in their neighborhood or can't afford it, um, where do they go? They go to sparkyprep.com, S-P-A-R-K-Y-P-R-E-P.com. Um, they go to the sign up button and they fill out a really short form and then we get back to them as soon as possible. And we try to match them with the tutor. We let them join, we have them join our Discord server where you can ping tutors to have you help out. And also, something really bad about Sparky Prep that I've noticed is that students will even help each other out because just because a student needs test prep in one area doesn't mean that they aren't good in another area. There could be a student looking for help with writing and reading who's really good at math. Absolutely. Absolutely. The link will also be in the description down below in the show notes section or it'll be in the show notes of your podcast player. So please, please, please check Sparky Test Prep out. It sounds so cool. And I think I'm actually in the Discord server. So if you join it, I will see y'all there. Um, But thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on the podcast. 
No problem. It's always great talking to you. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. It was great to have Catherine on to talk about test prep tutoring and also the work that Sparky Prep is doing. And if you'd like more from the Admissions Uncovered podcast, head over to bit.ly slash aupodapple to, descri- to subscribe on an iPhone or an Apple device and head over to bit.ly slash aupoddroid to subscribe on an Android device and you'll get every single episode the second it releases in your podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you all next week.